In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we come to the new year, to the Sunday before Theophany, and in our own community, a time of transition, a time of new beginnings, and of continuations. And as I was contemplating the Gospel passage, and thinking about what it is that our Lord is teaching us here on this Sunday. The first line of the Gospel is stuck out to me. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's kind of a curious phrase, right? Because the other Gospels begin at other times. Luke and Matthew begin at the conception and at the birth of our Lord. But Mark, he begins at the baptism and the public preaching of our Lord and the revelation of the Holy Trinity that is that occurs at the baptism of Christ. And St. John the theologian begins even further back from the very beginning of created existence when he says, in the beginning was the Word. So beginnings are what I want to focus on. And where and how do we identify when God has acted in our life? When is the beginnings of these things? Even the Gospels themselves don't give us one straightforward answer. And I think there's wisdom here in what is revealed in that comparison. That the beginning is often very hard to discern, and perhaps that is not the way to go about finding where our Lord is and where he has come, at least not being caught up in that. So where, the question I want to dive into is where's the beginning of our salvation? Is it in belief? Is it in action? Is it in the liturgy? Is it in the sacraments? Is it in something else? The curious passage that we have is that John's baptism is different than the baptism into Christ. It's in some way incomplete. It did not fully wash and did not fully restore humanity. St. John, he called his people to repentance. He was a voice crying in the wilderness but pointing toward our Lord. We see this in so many simple ways. He says that in this passage, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And as if you dive into this, this is his way of saying, I am not the promised bridegroom. He also says that there is a greater baptism in the Gospel of Luke, one of the Holy Spirit, as we heard today, and in the Gospel of Luke, and of fire, purifying fire. John's perpetual calls are for us to prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord, which happens in our own hearts. He calls simply for our repentance, to wake us up, to know that our time is short. He calls us to begin a new life that yields new fruit. He calls us to prepare to receive Christ and the Holy Spirit. Not that John would give these, but the coming one would. St. Nicolai in his homily says that what, what teaches us what it was that St. John gave. He told us and taught us of repentance, the confession of our sins, and that the baptism by water which he baptized many was administered by John himself for the forgiveness of sins as a preparation for the ultimate. But this forgiveness of sins was not in his power. St. John taught repentance and the actions of repentance. This is what 
In the other Gospels, we see him calling for, for the fruit of repentance, various fruits of repentance of our life. A life that is going in a different direction than one that we were established in. Repentance is a beginning, St. Nikolai says, but it is not enough to save the soul from sin, but it is enough to make men worthy to appear before Christ. So St. John points the way. And John could not give that ultimate thing, which is the Holy Spirit, that guides and illumines our path. He could not initiate his followers and disciples into the life of the Holy Trinity. Only Christ could do that. Christ's baptism, the one for which all Christians are baptized into in the name of the Holy Trinity, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, transforms all of our preparations, all the aspects of our life that lead us up to that moment that we may receive him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Christ's baptism transforms, transfigures, and brings all of that into his own life. So it requires careful and thoughtful preparation as we lead to baptism. For those of you who are on that journey toward your baptism into the reception of the Orthodox Church, heed these words well. Tread carefully and tread in a way that you do not solely yourselves with evil habits, as St. Theophilact warns us that we do not solely our baptism with evil habits. But even when we do, we'll get to that point, that there is a renewal of our baptism promised in the church. So we have taught that John's baptism, when we see, is not complete. But where do we see that? Why? It says that it is for the forgiveness of sins very clearly in this gospel. But I want to focus on the Ephesian church that we hear about in Acts, that Timothy, whose epistle we've read today, Sylvester of Rome, who was Timothy's disciple. So we have St. Paul, St. Timothy, and St. Sylvester, all connected with the Ephesian church today. And they're all commemorated in one way or another, whether by an epistle reading or by which saint. That Ephesian community, when St. Paul meets them in the book of Acts, chapter 19, you can read it for himself. Paul discovers that they have been baptized into John's baptism. And he examines them and asks, so do you know of the Holy Spirit? And they reply, we don't know whether there is a spirit. So what does St. Paul do? What does he give the Ephesian community? He lays hands on them and he gives them that Holy Spirit. He completes their baptism. And he not only does that, he doesn't leave them to their own devices after that, he leaves them St. Timothy to be their bishop, to be their shepherd, and to be their guide in his absence. And from the epistle that we've read today, at least one of the two, this is St. Paul's words to Timothy for the bishop of that church, how he is teaching them to guide as Paul prepares to lay down his ministry in his own martyrdom. So Paul gave them everything they needed to fully participate in the life of God. And this is a great lesson for us, that it is a journey through. We have beginnings, but yet it is the journey toward Christ that may have many different beginnings, even from the beginning of creation, as St. John tells us, for our own souls and our own lives. So St. John's preaching is fulfilled. That repentance, that confession, that metonia, that change of life that is summed up in that one single Greek word. All of that is subsumed into the baptism in Christ and given so much more. St. Paul 
as one who was empowered by Christ himself, gave to the Ephesian church the Holy Trinity, granting them the Holy Spirit and a community to be constantly renewed within for the body of Christ and in the body of Christ, that their salvation may be one for themselves that they can dive deep into. So baptism into Christ, as we've said, is a transformation of what is a simple sign, a common ritual of washing in water. We all do it. We all take baths. The Jews had ritual baths that they believed for, were temporary forgiveness of their sins. But the baptism into Christ takes all of that symbol, all of that ritual, all of the normalcy of washing in water, and he makes that even something greater. He turns it into the entry into life itself, into the life of God. Gregory the Great says that this coming of Christ to the baptismal waters was, and his coming into the incarnation, was not coming to smite our sins, as sometimes we falsely believe about our God, but to continue to put up with us in his gentleness, <laughs> to guide us. To put up with us is to guide us toward the next thing, the next stage that Christ has for us and our salvation for each and every one of us. So it's Christ who transforms everything. In the words of our patron, when the Spirit descended as Christ came up out of the water, as he transformed and the Trinity was revealed and the Spirit in the likeness of a dove descended upon Christ in the Jordan, this was a descent upon us, upon each and every one of us, not just Christ, because his, of his bearing our body. For when the Lord as man was washed in the Jordan, it was we who were washed in him and by him. And when he received the Spirit, it was we who by him were made recipients of the Spirit. So Christ did all these things for our behalf. And not only that Christ began this work at the baptism, but rather that the baptismal waters, he divinized us. He made us like God in a human body and in a human soul and gave this sanctified, divinized body back to us. And we see that in the act of communion, and we see that in the act of our baptisms. The baptism into Christ is not just some external change and way of life or following some moral code. These are good. They prepare us to receive him, to be able to see him. This is what St. John was calling his disciples and anyone who would listen to him to do. It's not just that repentance and not just the confessing of weaknesses. Full and complete and perfecting baptism is the giving of the Holy Trinity to the person and the further entry into the depths of the life of Christ. It is seeing him guiding you at times that, for you to be prepared for him in the great and in the small events of your life. So the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of our own salvation may be hard to discern, but it is shot through with God's action in the events of our personal lives, in the events of our communities, in the events of all those who have touched us. It is shot through with God. These events allow us to see God's hand in the times of our lives. When we seek him and when we desire him, these are revealed. We see his hand. We notice these events and stages when we give up our ways and our thoughts. For me personally, I see this 
in my own journey into the, my baptism into Christ. As a young man, I, some of you know this story, but we'll repeat it. <laughs> uh, as a young man, I sought earnestly for something that was out there, something I could not define. I was seeking, I was trying to piecemeal things together, taking a bit from the east, taking a bit from the west. Maybe there was something in Africa to copy and do, and maybe I would find this fulfilling. And this is how I lived my life. As a young high schooler into my college age, as I journeyed toward God, though I didn't quite know it. And it's in those little signs, someone noticing something that may have been, they actually noticed something that drew me, drew me to the church, something in a picture that I had online, and they invited me into a discussion, which ultimately led me into the Orthodox Church, into the journey and secureness of the salvation of my baptism in Christ, if only I cling to it. And it's in those little events that one is converted, but we often don't see where God's hand was. There was no reason, perhaps, for me to have those pictures for someone else to see, some complete stranger to see, and invite me into this discussion. Invite me, ultimately, into the life in Christ in his very body. So, we only see things in hindsight. As they say, hindsight is 2020. So completing and perfecting baptism is, what is it? What is it that we are journeying toward and that we can dip back into as we journey with Christ and we seek him? It is perfecting baptism. Making as someone, as a recently canonized saint said, his life is my life. His life is mine. This is the title of a wonderful biography of St. Sophroni. St. Gregory the Theologian helps us see what baptism is. Both appointing toward baptism in preparation. He sees Moses and the Old Testament writings. The entry through the River Jordan, um, not through the River Jordan, through, through the seas as they parted. He sees that as a pointing toward baptism, an entry into the life of God as his people, but incomplete. St. John, the forerunner, added to this in the baptism for repentance and preparation for Christ just before our Lord's arrival. And then we have our Lord Jesus Christ's baptism by the Spirit and by fire. It is perfect and it is perfecting. And everything that happens after in our life points back toward that because he adds two additional types of baptism that are fulfillments of the life of Christ and a way that we can follow him. Martyrdom and confession for and with Christ. These, he says, are almost more perfect than the baptism in the water because they cannot be resoiled. No one can take that away when we have united ourselves to our Lord's suffering. And it is by tears and sorrow for our sins that we rebaptize ourselves every time, that we are cleansed and washed in the acknowledgement of that we cannot save ourselves, but that God guides and brings us to him. And that causes us to have tears that wash us. So how do we make that our own? How? As I thought and looked at how to renew our baptisms, I came to this blessed writing of St. Jerome, and I'll just come to the end. He goes through kind of 
looking at what these words can mean. What does Judea mean? What does Jerusalem mean? What does the River Jordan mean? And when he comes to the River Jordan, he says, the River Jordan means that it is of judgment. And he says, and explains what judgment is, because that's a big, scary word. He says, it's to the extent that the elect, those of us Christians who have been baptized, more examine ourselves and our consciences by scrutinizing them, looking in ourselves, that we enter into baptism. And that is what is meant by the tears and sorrow for our sins, that we look into ourselves and that we see that where we need Christ. My brothers and sisters, when we ask the question, is it in belief? Is it in action? Is it in the litur liturgical events that we participate in? Is it in the sacraments? One of the chief ways, the sacrament that we do this, that we can live out this word that St. John is calling us to, St. Jerome is calling us to, is by holy confession. It's a powerful tool for us to continually dive into the waters of our baptism and seek Christ's life. It is the honest accounting before God to know ourselves, to seek God's way and his life. It is the ever re-reconciling baptism without water. It is the laying on of hands of forgiveness of sins and the renewal of the life and the spirit within the Christian of what St. Paul gave to the Ephesian church. Who would not run to holy confession regularly with these promises? Who would not? Confession and the partaking of the body and blood of Christ are intimately tied together. They are preparation and fulfillment for that unity with Christ. They are a regular and constant companions in the deification of man that Christ begins at creation and he planned for and continues through his birth and at his baptism and seals in his resurrection and ascension into heaven. This is our life in Christ, begun at some point in our life, when we began to believe, when we began to act for him, when we began to journey, when we were baptized, when we were chrismated, when we were received, and when we partake of our Lord. All of these are unto our salvation. Where is the beginning? Perhaps it's the wrong question, but where is Christ? And it's in each and every single one of these things. By confession, we are able to be cleansed and changed, and partaking, we unite with God. Confession is that movement of the Spirit where we can know and answer the question the Ephesians asked of Paul. We know nothing of the Spirit, but confession helps us see that Spirit by prompting us to examine our consciences and prepare ourselves to live out our baptism in unity with Christ. We discover through these things that we, where we have not borne those fruits of repentance, St. John preaches to us that we need to see those and present those to the Lord. We have the Church of Christ established, and it pres he preserves his bride, which is us, and he cares for us. We have all we have all that we need to prepare us to receive the Lord. We have the sacraments that renews baptismal grace and confession when we fall and Christ grants, is granted back to us. We have all that Christ gives to us that we may become spiritual beings caught up in the life of God. With those of us who are just now beginning, those of us in our midst who are just now beginning this way of life of repentance, seeking and prompting the confirming words of the Spirit, we are those who are preparing for baptism. You're just beginning. Make good efforts. The rest of us 
hear the words of St. John crying in the wilderness, and we can flee to that sacrament of renewal. Often. For in it we can regularly see, in the beautiful words, again, of St. Nikolai, that we are surrounded by God more than by air and by sunlight. And I would like to add to those words, air and sunlight can't go to certain places. But God has nowhere where he is absent, except where we tell him he cannot go. That is only within our own hearts. So let us examine and invite him to change and deify us in his life and through his life that we may become his completely. Glory to God who is everywhere and fills all things, guiding us to his kingdom. Amen.